I'm Nick Cater, the Executive Director of the Mentis Research Centre and the presenter of Water Cooler, coming to you from Sydney. In this edition of the Water Cooler, we reflect on communist China from a human perspective, with the help of Anastasia Lin, who's visiting Australia as a guest of the Centre for Independent Studies. Anastasia incurred the wrath of the People's Republic of China when she chose to become an advocate for freedom in the country of her birth and where her father and many of her family members still live. It's a compelling and moving story in which we reflect on the fate of Chinese traditional culture under Chinese communism, the nature of oppression and the West's careless attitude to freedom, amongst other things. Anastasia, incidentally, is a former Westworld Canada a part of her CV that is integral to her story. So let's start with when you found yourself up against the Chinese government for the first time. um... Tell me that story. (laughs) Um, So I ran for Miss World Canada just like any politician. Beauty queens do have to have a platform and what they fight for as well. Um, although usually is a lot more vague. Um, so I chose human rights because I grew up in China and I realized that um, after I moved to Canada, that the things I learned in China, a lot of them were manipulated. They were not really true. And real people's story don't really get heard. Um, so even outside in the West, a lot of Chinese diaspora, they don't, uh, they can't, because of cultural language barrier, they don't really tell their stories well. So I wanted to be their voice. And so I ran for Miss World Canada on a human rights platform. And then the Chinese Communist Party, at the beginning when I won, they were very excited. And uh, a lot of Chinese state media started to report about my story like a propaganda piece. Um, And then they found out that I run a human rights platform and I acted in some movies that talk about human rights issues in China. And then suddenly all the articles disappeared and my father got this threat from the national security. Your father's still in China. My father is still in China. Yes. And so um, he sent me a message saying that you better stop talking about this or otherwise um, we're going to be persecuted like in the Cultural Revolution. He remembered the Cultural Revolution, of course. He lived through the Cultural Revolution in his formative years. And it's a very dark period in Chinese history. What do you know of that? What did he tell you about it? He told me that before, he sometimes t- t- tells me these things like in a very proud way. Because it's like, that's his history. It's how he grew up. Um, they have to read the little red book, which is Mao's quotes, before they eat every meal. And people go, even if they are not farmers, sometimes they're being sent to the towns and um, uh, to do the labor work. A lot of the um, uh, scholars and academics had to do that to be transformed. Mm. Um, was he an academic? Was he a scholar? Uh, he was the principal of an uh, elementary school when it was uh, earlier, before he even went to university. And then he went on to university. So those people, I think, Correct me if I'm wrong. They were they were pretty vulnerable during the Cultural Revolution, weren't they? They were the sort of people they wanted to take down. Um, it's like communists try to create this fear, this very artificial um, fear that if because of your family or circumstances that you're sort of obligated to persecute these people with the Communist Party. If that makes sense, mm, mm. you're obligated to stand by the party line 
and to suppress your fellow Chinese, and sometimes in some cases your family. Um, in the Cultural Revolution, there are a lot of people who were forced to report, like expose their family members um, because of maybe some things they said. Children's have done a lot to their parents. Maybe their parents just expressed a private opinion on a dining table, and then the children would report them to the police and saying that, oh, he's anti-revolutionary. It was a horrible period of uh, in Chinese history that the nation abandoned its tradition and values and even the most basic trust in the society between family. The bonds were dissolved. That's a horrible thing, isn't it? A breakdown of trust in the family. Yes, it is a horrible thing because that's the most basic part and the natural part of human nature. And I think what communists was trying to do is is take that very basic instinct of human being away. And that's exactly what they're trying to do to me. Mm. My father's first reaction after like receiving the threat was to tell me, you have to do this and this and this, or otherwise I will we'll have to go our separate ways. Um, any parents in the Western society would never say that. And I know it's not because my father doesn't love me. He, it's his survival instinct. He lived, he grew up in that period. The pain is inside him. This is the first thing he can think of to keep himself and his new family safe in China. This is incredible because we, you know, we get we watch lots of really powerful movies about um, say East Germany in in the nineteen sixties when the Stasi was in charge or uh, communist Russia or 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 Nazi Germany and it seems like something in history, but this is going on now, right? Right now, there is a country or a government in this world, one of several, but one that's very powerful that is actually using techniques of driving families apart in order to maintain control. Is that right? Have I, have I overstated that? Yeah, I, I think it's understatement, actually. They use, they're using it as a weapon against me, not just driving my family apart. It's to also create fear among other Chinese people. They have controlled China using the tool of fear and lies, manipulation. So let's, let's go back. You were born, you spent your first 13 years in China. In which part? Hunan, China. And what, what, what was your mother's job? My mother uh, was a university professor. And so what, what drove your mother to leave China? I think she wants a better future for me because she's an educator. So she knows that there are a lot of things that are not taught in school. And there are a lot of things that were taught in school but shouldn't be taught. Um, so when I was two or three, I had a tiger mom. Um, so she forced me to learn calligraphy and, uh, and piano. So, uh, before I can even hold a pen, like a brush pen, she really just invited the calligraphy teacher to live in our home to teach me. So uh, one of the things she did is to, uh, ask me to memorize the way that traditional character was written. And traditional Chinese, each character is a story. It's it's a com 
it's almost like a condensed version of our ancestors' wisdom. Um, and also it's infused with um, the ideas of Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism, that how human beings are supposed to live in harmony with the nature, not against it. Uh, but that's not what the communist believes in. The communist believes that we should fight in heaven, fight the earth, and fight each other. It's class struggle. Everybody should just struggle and fight. Um, so that's why my mom made me learn all that. At the time, I didn't really understand. Um, and fortunately, in the university she was teaching, which we lived in, uh, there was a, this real Confucius Academy from a thousand years ago. And now it's a museum. We can see all the scriptures and things that are written on the walls, but they don't teach there anymore. Um, it's been replaced by universities. Um, but then my mom made me go into these, uh, this academy to copy what is written on the wall in water with a brush pen on the ground. Mm. So I'd be looking at it and trying to copy it um, the way that it was written um, when I was like five some years old. I know, I had a tiger mom. <laughs> so um, the great thing is that it taught me a side of the Chinese um, culture, the real Chinese culture that is not taught at school. That immersion in the traditional culture that your mother clearly thought was important to give you, not everybody in China would have benefited from that, would they? Well, not at all. A majority of the children would just learn the simplified character and whatever the school teaches. The simplified character is what Chairman Mao introduced, wasn't it? Uh, the, uh, yes. Stripping it's... out much of the deeper meaning in those. Mm -hmm. it, remain, it sort of retained the shape of certain characters, but the meaning is significantly reduced. In the past, because Chinese people believed in the divine, believed in we had God. Um, and of course, communists is atheist. So for them, that, that belief, the traditional belief itself is the biggest enemy of communist party. They hate it, right? They hate it because it is the, their obstacle to obtain true, total control over the minds and hearts of Chinese mm. citizens. Mm. So that's why Cultural Revolution was not an accident. It was not Mao's strategic mistake. It was a deliberate eradication of um, the biggest enemy of Chinese communists. He wanted to eradicate all sense of the traditional past so they could introduce a totalitarian state. But the values and the, and the principles to which you adhere, have, tell me about them. There's a bit of Confucianism, some other strands of thought and wisdom in there, aren't there? Uh, yes. So just imagine a really beautiful animal being all of a sudden forced to go into combat mode and stripped away of all the natural elegance that it was born with. We have been twisted, manipulated. Um, if you just look at people coming from China, I'm not being racist here, I'm Chinese and I came from China myself. Um, just look at some of the way, the difference that a Taiwanese, which is still adheres a lot of Chinese tradition, would act the behavior. And also someone who just freshly coming from China, educated in that way and never really being exposed to the West. Um, you will see the difference. I think a lot of people have commented on this, that we, we have in China and Taiwan essentially two people with a common ancestry uh, but have gone their separate ways, almost like a giant human experiment, right, for the last what, 70 years or so. So on the one side, a totalitarian 
communist regime. On the other side, a, a pretty uh, brutal military regime, but nonetheless evolved into a democracy and evolved into a capitalist society, a very successful one. Uh, and it's almost as if they're two separate people, isn't it? Sometimes, in the in the way in their culture, in the way they act now. Yes, it it does feel like you're talking to two totally different groups of people. But then I also found that when I visited Taiwan, and then when I visited their legislative yuan to testify there, and I saw the Taiwanese bureaucrats, the way that they were acting, and uh, all of a sudden I felt this joy. It's almost like I have seen what China would be, could be, if communists didn't take over. There's that that gentleness, that grace that our ancestor passed down, um, the belief and in harmony with everything, and it's not in a combat mode all the time. Mm. Uh, nothing artificial. It was just beautiful. Just go back to your your childhood in China. Do you have happy memories of that period? Oh yeah, totally. My grandparents, they're I, I love them. They're very, very kind um, to me. And because I'm the oldest daughter, although because of the China China's one child policy, uh, a lot of baby girls got abandoned or uh, killed before they were even born. Um, but my mom, she went through a lot of that, and she decided to keep me. And my grandparents say were overjoyed when I was born. And despite the gender bias, my grandparents were so happy when I was born. My mother had three younger brothers. Uh, she was the oldest, and intellectually and everything, my grandparents always say that she's the greatest because she went to university when she was fourteen years old, um, and she's a protege. She's a university professor. She was always the best in class. She worked herself because of the element in my family.、Um, so we were always persecuted. So always the worst and poorest in town. Although my grandmother still tried to keep use the things that she learned when she was younger, which is、um, uh, in the old times the ladies would do the、um, uh, ladies the work with.、Um, Embroidery, yes, embroidery,、so. and so she was really good at that because she was so trained so well when she was younger. So she opened up this small chipao shop to make dresses for the ladies in town, and that supported the entire family. Because later on, my grandfather was arrested for doing business,、um, so there was a period where they were really just. Suffering, and so because of her skills,、um, they were kept、uh, kept safe and warm.、Um, and my mother went all the way to master's degree without paying a penny. When you arrived in Canada at the age of thirteen,、uh, could you speak? How was your English? My English was very good. So you didn't have that struggle at school of not being able to understand. Oh no! My mother started to hire me English tutor when I was like. Before I went to elementary school, I think four so, or five years old. Yeah. So, what were your first impressions? How was it different from China? It's so much more relaxed,、mm. and I, that was the first impression. And also,、um, I was a student leader in China, and Chinese school always had that competitiveness. You always have to be the best、um, and compete with other children. In Canada, it was more like.
so chill. You can be whatever you want to be, and no one's really gonna give you a very hard time if you got、mm. a, like a B instead of an A. But I used to like come back with ninety. Eight percent test grade, and my mom was like, "Where did the other two percent go?" That's so typically Chinese parents. And、uh, another thing I found is that there's no like a student organization that's trying to impose things on you, which I was a part of in China, and I oftentimes have to organize my classmates to watch、uh, mandatory propaganda videos.、Um, Yeah, and then afterward we will have a class. You're the one who get them all in to watch the Chinese propaganda. Yes, yes, and、um, because um, my family background is solid enough. My father he studied all the way to his PhD and had a very successful business, and so um, and he was a communist member as well. Um, so despite despite all the trauma my mother's family went through, she was also very successful and a university professor. So of course I then had. Good enough family to have、uh, to be the student leader, and I also have good grades. You did very well, of course, and you you carried on with the piano. I think you're quite an accomplished pianist. My mom wanted me to be a pianist、uh, because it's simple. There's nothing complicated about it, and look what I what I'm doing now. <laughs> But、um, <laughs> yeah, I studied piano for a long time. I love it. Yeah. But unfortunately, at the time when I was in China, all the things. That we were trained for, because I was selected in a、um, as an art student in my high school. They started training these people, like Olympic athletes or like Long Long, those pianists, really like strong competitors to compete on the international stage, and that is to win glory for China.、Um, and so there's that that pushiness, that very Um, it, it was not because I love it because I love it, and that is endorsement to all these musicians and composers in the past. It was more like、uh, I have to gain glory. This is a tool. Yeah. I, I must say this is this is a bit of a novelty for me. I run a a, a think tank、uh, which is involved in the world of politics and policy. Over here, we have an expression that、uh, politics is a beauty contest for ugly people. So that's the world in which I mix. So it's the first time、um, that I've spoken to somebody who went into a beauty contest in that way and did quite well. Just talk me through. I mean, so that I can understand what the process.、Mm-hmm. How did you end up in that world, and how did it proceed? When I was、uh, younger, thinks sixteen、uh, years old, I went to,、uh, in front of Vancouver Art Gallery, and at the time there was an assembly going on there, a rally, and Miss World Canada two thousand three, Nazanin Afshin Jam was talking about、uh, with two Canadian, other Canadian eco researchers about organ harvesting in China. That's when the news about it just broke internationally, and I listened to her. What cap Shared me was her, of course, her beauty, but also she was extremely confident, and there is a kindness, a real gentle kindness that shows shown through. And I went to talk to her after, and she said that if you care about things that you, and you want to have a voice, beauty pageant is a good way because Miss World has a motto: beauty with purpose, and that's what she went for.、Um, so I was quite inspired, but. Quite deliberate, then. I mean, it wasn't an accidental thing. You you thought that if you if you could make a success 
in that world, it would be a platform for you to speak about things that really bothered you. Yes, yes. But at the same time, I'm a girl. I love things that are glamorous. And in, in beauty pageants, you do get to dress up and do big hair and makeup and have the attention. Um, I think it's just, it's natural. And I don't, I'm not against that part of it. It's slightly politically incorrect these days, isn't it? That whole idea of a beauty contest. Well, I think it should be completely acceptable because if respecting woman means whatever she chooses is fine, then I choose to be a beauty queen. I choose to dress in the way that I like and the way that I perceive to be flattering and to be feminine. I don't think that... Uh, gender equality in in its best form would be to force every woman dressing like men because that is what communist party have done to china in the after the cultural revolution all everybody have to dress the same way that the green uh suit you know the zhongshan suit we yeah. call it and you can wear gray black or navy or or dark green that's totally not natural the world is made of color and i think Heaven made the world with color for a reason. I was interested, you, you said you chose to be a beauty queen. Of course, nowadays anybody could choose to be a beauty queen, can't they? I identify as a beauty queen, therefore I am. You know? <laughs> and we got, it's quite a strange world we're in, isn't it, this identity politics? Do, do you think about it much? I do, I do. And I'm, I'm really sad that nowadays for a young girl to choose that she likes pink and she... Um, likes to dress in dresses. It's somewhat politically incorrect, and but I think part of me, the nature, just draws me to be dressing in a certain way or appreciate a certain things. It seems to me the theme that we're getting to here is that these kind of um, top-down totalitarian ways of thinking. And you've got an extreme form, of course, in China. Another form, I think, um, not to make any moral equivalence between the two, but in the you know the feminist movement and all the identity politics here, the common element between the two is that they both want to go against human nature. Mm -hmm. Humans don't want to live that way naturally. Mm -hmm. If you leave girls to their natural condition, well, some will behave mm -hmm. like boys, but majority of them will behave like girls always have. Is that true? Yes, and also I think it's a sort of not appreciate the traditions and our ancestors' wisdom um, because like things evolved for a reason and I think the customs and a lot of things in society nowadays is accumulation of the human beings who walked before us and the wisdom that they have. And um, I, I really appreciate that. Like in China... The country abandoned its tradition and history and culture. And we, our nation now, it's soulless. And the, the essential part, the most beautiful part of who we are as Chinese people is lost. Let's pick up the story from uh, when your father contacted you to say, look, keep quiet, do these things, don't make trouble. What happened next? I... Um, I was frightened because he's actually confirmed being contacted by the police. 
And that was sort of the worst situation possible. I thought something might happen because some people warned me about it, but I didn't think it would actually happen that quickly. I mean, girls sometimes cause trouble for their fathers, but not quite as bad as that. <laughs> Did you feel guilty? I felt really guilty because he said that、um, it's all because of you. It's all because of you, and stop doing that, or otherwise you're ruining the family. And he was a very successful businessman in China, so he had business contacts everywhere in China. And when I first won, and the Chinese media were propagating about it, and people, the Chinese media reported about it in a nice way. People from all over China were sending him congratulatory messages, and Chinese media even like interviewed him and wrote about him as this. A wonderful father who raised an extremely extraordinary daughter. But she wasn't a very obedient daughter, was she?、Yeah. Because she, she ignored exactly what he said. I mean, you you carried on speaking about China, and then you you were prevented from going there. Yes. So after that happened,、um, the Washington Post asked if I want to write an op-ed.、Uh, I thought about it, and I realized that, and I think. What got me to speak out about my experience is that there is a voice inside me that tells me my father is afraid, and I I I was very sad. But then I dig into the reason: is it because of what I have done? And I look at what I have done, and there's nothing wrong with that. If there's nothing wrong with what I have done, and it caused my father such pain. Then I just kept looking. I went through this, went around and around in my head for about a week, and eventually the conclusion I realized is that the Chinese Communist Party, they're trying to coerce my father to get me to not speak. It's the same tactic that they used in the Cultural Revolution on the families that broke up, on the society that broke down, the public enemy that were executed, and then the entire. Rest of the population was afraid. I was just like that had been going on for such a long time, and they're just using it on me now. I don't want to repeat what the rest of the Chinese, my father's generation, had done. How did your mother react? Oh, my mother was so against what I was doing because our national television station at that time already reported about this. My, some of my journalist friend fished things out of me, and、um, and then her friend watched the national news, and they were like, "Oh, your daughter is rocking the boat between、uh, China and Canada. Can she create peace? Can she please advocate for peace and not like disturb disturbing whatever good relation we have?" And these are like. New immigrants, right? A lot of my mom's friends are old immigrants, but there's some new ones that sometimes.、Um, and and my mother, she had a lot of pressure too, because I think at that time, I didn't know why I did what I did, and she didn't understand why I did that. And so I realized I had to make a decision. What do I stand for? It's more not about what I do. I stand for is how do I want to live from here on. Do I want to continue the way that I had been living, or do I need to? Can I listen to my own voice? So, in choosing that path, of course, you 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 created a difficult life for yourself in many ways.、Um, you you faced the sort of attacks on 
social media and so forth that, that most of us would, wouldn't dream of. Um, and as well as that, you know, deliberate attempts by Chinese government and its agents to try and silence you. Can you tell us about some of those? Yes. Um, it's, I don't, I don't really look at it as a more difficult way that I choose. Because in Tibetan Buddhism, there is this interesting saying, if two paths is in front of you, choose the more difficult one. I didn't understand that at the time, but now I think I understand why it it was good for me. I was so much more in touch with my soul. I felt like after making that decision, my life biologically, like physically changed. I felt different. It was as if I'm actually a whole being that is um, alive all of a sudden. And every decision from there on had to be a conscious choice. And I realized I got closer and closer to the way I actually want to live, a conscious being. And and so then after that, um, the Chinese five cent- uh, 50 centers, which are the Chinese 50 center army, we call tell them. Us, tell, <laughs> describe the 50 center army, for those, the 50 center army, for those who aren't All right. familiar. So uh, on the internet, um, yeah. both Chinese internet and Western media, um, there are this group of Chinese commentators, um, random people who leave comments, they would get, they're paid to do that, to try to manipulate um, the world to think that, oh, this is what the Chinese people think by leaving all those um, hostile comments. And for each comments they make, they will get 50 cents. So that's why people think that they're the 50 centers. And the goal is to make the people who speak up like me or Western journalists who dare to criticize China to feel like, oh, the public opinion is against them, to make them feel very anxious and that they don't have support. This is a technique very familiar to us, isn't it, in the Western world? I mean, I think they do it for free here. That's the (laughs) point. But they'll typically swarm you know we talk about a twitter storm or people swarm on social media to put pressure on corporations typically or sometimes politicians or even sometimes people like ourselves basically to make it look as the whole world's against you but it's horrible when you're in that isn't it yes and it's really sometimes the words are so hurtful and they're so personal and especially i'm a girl and they're not gentle (laughs) and so i they're not well brought up, these people, are they? No, they're not. They use languages, and sometimes I would receive like very disturbing videos or pictures in my mailbox, and I might be having a really nice breakfast, and then looking to my mailbox and I see something like that. It is, it is, a, it feels terrible. Yeah. But that brings us, I think, to what's going on now. And you, 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 you've been in Australia twice now speaking about these things and helping, I think, to alert us to what's going on here. I mean, China, the Chinese government plays a very intrusive role in the lives of the Chinese diaspora here. You've helped highlight that. It plays an intrusive role on campuses with students, but beyond that, it does. Do you think we're too blasé about that, that we, we need to we need to wake up to what's happening? I think there is a discommunication between the real Chinese diaspora and the Western society. And people like me and my family, uh, my, my mother, who had no like any kind of 
connection with the embassy just want to live peacefully in a Western country, feel safe. But that includes exercising all the rights that's available to Western citizens, like freedom of speech, freedom of belief. And when I exercised my freedom of speech in Canada, my father was threatened. That's not natural. And it's my right as a Canadian citizen that was been threatened. In that case, the government should speak up. The government of my adopted country should be able to take the role to protect me. But unfortunately, um, it has not really happened. And these Chinese diaspora have been left alone to deal with this issue on their own. And how would they deal with it? When my father was threatened, I was just thinking, should I call the Canadian police? I can't call the Canadian police because they have no jurisdiction in China. Should I call the Chinese police? Oh, no. They're the one that actually threatened my father. Who do I go to to protect me, my father? And so because of that, the Chinese diaspora do not really speak up. All around the world, the Chinese diasporas, people who have their family in China, don't dare to speak up. Here in Australia, you've 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 spent a lot of time speaking to... Uh, students, expatriate Chinese. What's the reaction been here? Oh, I I received overwhelming support. And it's amazing that um, I went on a screening tour with the film um, In the Name of Confucius, the documentary that talks about Confucius Institute in uh, overseas. And um, there is like audience that come up to me and sometimes really just tell me, Anastasia, thank you so much for being our voice. Uh, not a lot of people dare to speak up, but this is very important. And one girl came up to me in Adelaide and she said that, Anastasia, can I talk to you about my experiences in my high school? She's in grade 12. And she was just like, I don't know how to communicate with these Chinese students. They just came from China and I want to be their friend. But when I speak to them about things that are going on in China or my views about democracy, they don't believe it and they defend it themselves fearless, uh, fiercely. They say that, oh, Communist Party is better than Australia, no matter what happens. We're not going to change our mind. So brainwashed and not willing to take a look at the world. And then she also told me that when her father went back to China, because her father is rather outspoken diaspora here in Australia, and the police went to have a cup of tea with him. Being invited for tea is a Chinese way of saying that you're being threatened by the police in a private conversation. They ask you out for a cup of tea. And so they told him that if he continue, if the father continued to be vocal about things that the Chinese government doesn't like, the daughter, when she applies to Adelaide University, her application might be denied. That's here in Australia. And I was just wondering, why do these Chinese police feel so much confidence in that the Chinese government have the ability to influence things outside, things that's going on in university? And I took a closer look at the universities here. I'm not surprised. My film... The film that acted in in the name of Confucius was rejected from several places in Australia. The venues were cancelled. Including university venues? Victoria University. That was the university, yeah. right? Yeah. Victoria University. But when you look at the number of Chinese students here now, and it, it's huge, right? One in three admissions now at Sydney University or thereabouts is a Chinese student. 
it means that they have tremendous financial muscle. I mean, if China theoretically decided it was going to stop its people studying here, that would leave a massive hole in the budget of these universities and, and the towns that, that benefit from the students coming here. I'm not saying don't take Chinese students. I think it's a great thing that Chinese students come out to study. But the thing is, what are we teaching these Chinese students in our universities? If we're teaching them our value, the things that we treasure the most, the values that animated our society, then yes, we welcome all the Chinese to come out and then go back to China to change their country. But unfortunately, Australians... Some Australian universities are not doing that. They are placating to Beijing, silencing freedom of speech, cancelling speakers that are sensitive to Chinese government, and not allowing these students an environment, safe environment, to really study what they're coming here to study. One of I heard a case of an Australian girl who freshly came from China, and she she saw a poster. Um, about Tiananmen massacre, maybe there was a film screen or something, and she thought it was a Western propaganda. And then she researched more about it and found out about it. She was so shocked, just like the first time I heard about Tiananmen massacre after I come out of um, China too. And then what got her more angry is that she didn't learn it from the classroom in Australia. She learned it from a poster on the street. What are our classrooms teaching? The Chinese university. Elementary school and high school had already been the talk of democratic values. It's not allowed, except for Marxist. Are our universities doing the same? Maybe not. But these massive amount of Chinese students coming out here to study in our universities, we have a responsibility to 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 stand for to stand firmly what we believe in. Are we being too timid about celebrating our own values? About talking about the values and principles that this society was built upon? Sometimes I get a little confused. I'm not sure what we really stand for anymore. The most precious part of our civilization, of what we are today, I felt sometimes it's lost. It seems to me to come down to, in the end. At its most simplest, to one word, freedom. We have a society which is fundamentally built on freedom of the individual, freedom of the market, freedom of worship, freedom of belief. They are fundamental to our society. We inherited it from the tradition, the, the British Enlightenment tradition from which we came. In China, that's not part of the modern China at all. And it seems to me that that's where we clash. We believe people should be free. To do, to live their lives, to 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 be their best selves. In China, it's the government that decides what everybody does. I don't think that the difference is here. We celebrate、uh, freedom, and in China, we don't. In China, we want freedom too. It's not the difference between culture or countries. It's the fundamental human nature, the human yearning for what is supposed to be God given. It's it was it should be naturally given to everybody on Earth, but it's not there. It was taken away by the Chinese Communist Party. That's the difference. What do you say to those people that would say that even the conversation we're having now is dangerous in Australia because we we benefit so much from our trade relationship with China and and that's essentially 
underpins our wealth and prosperity and that therefore we should perhaps go easy on these questions. One wouldn't know the pain until they lose the freedom. I think we take what we have for granted. Just look at Hong Kong. Those people are fighting for their freedom, even like at the risk of their own freedom. Some of the elected officials, democratic movement, student leaders are thrown into jail. These people are educated under British colony, so they value freedom. They value what they have. And they are at risk and no one else is speaking up for them, but they're still fighting. Here, we are not aware of it because we have we have had it for so long. This is the privilege that the Western, the, our ancestors, our grandfather and father got it right. And that we are living in a society where we're able to be free. Don't take it for granted. How is your relationship with your father now and your mother? My mother is wonderful. Um, I mean, a lot of her friends were very kind and very supportive. Um, I think this is, that's the voice of Chinese diaspora. But we don't hear them a lot. They, they dare to whisper it when the Chinese consulate is not listening. They dare to be themselves when they know there's no informant around. But even in Canada, they might not feel free they don't feel free. How can they? And your father? My father, I met him once in Taiwan. Um, it was actually by accident. He was there for tourism. Um, that was a year after I was for Canada. After that, he was banned from traveling to uh, outside. His, can- uh, his passport was canceled. Um, but in that one hour I spent with him in Taiwan, I learned that um, what his true thoughts are without anybody listening to us on the phone. And it was the, the most awesome hour of my life because I, I heard a father's um, heart. Yeah. Anastasia Lim, thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's it for this edition of The Water Cooler, the podcast of the Mendes Research Centre. The best way to support free content like this is to subscribe to the MRC, which will give you discounts to books and events and the inside word on what's coming up and much more. To subscribe, go to our website, www.menziesrc.org. That's www.menziesrc.org. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. <laughs>